turn to again to Deuteronomy chapter 1 and we read from verse 8. Behold, I have set the land before you. Go in and possess the land which the Lord swear unto your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give unto them and to their seed after them. And I spake unto you at that time, saying, I am not able to bear you myself alone. The Lord your God hath multiplied you, and behold ye are this day as the stars of heaven for multitude. The Lord God of your fathers make you a thousand times so many, more as ye are, and bless you as he hath promised you. How can I myself alone bear your cumbrance and your burden and your strife? Take you wise men and, un and understanding and known among your tribes, and I will make them rulers over you. And he answered me and said, The thing which thou hast spoken is good for us to do. So I took the chief of your tribes, wise men and known, and made them heads over you, captains over thousands and captains over hundreds and captains over fifties and captains over tens and officers among your tribes. And I charged your judges at that time saying, Hear the causes between your brethren, and judge righteously between every man and his brother, and the stranger that is with him. Ye shall not respect persons in judgment, but ye shall hear the small as well as the great. Ye shall not be afraid of the face of man, for the judgment is God's. And the cause that is too hard for you, bring it unto me, and I will hear it. And I commanded you at that time all the things which ye should do. Israel at this time that Moses was speaking to them was, they were just about to enter into the promised land. They had been there before and they had sinned and they had gone away. But after 40 years they were here back again. Uh, ready to enter the promised land and Moses as we have seen was given a resume of all the things that had happened from the previous time right on to the present time at which he was speaking they were on the brink of something new and we you know this is the last day of a an old year 2006 and it's been a year which has had a lot of troubles and a lot of challenges throughout the world. For many in the world, of course, today and tomorrow are not particularly special because they have their own new years. But as far as we in the West, the New Year celebrations will start tonight and go on through till tomorrow. For we who are Christians, we enter 2007. And we, people make New Year's resolutions and they break them by the 2nd of January. But we should be determined, I think, to be deeper 
and to be stronger in our commitment to to prayer and determined to follow our Lord and Saviour throughout 2007. New Year will no doubt hold many challenges. The world faces 2007 with great concern. We look out at all the trouble spots. We look at Iraq with the uh, execution of Saddam Hussein and wonder what will happen there. We look at Iran with its fledgling nuclear program. We look out at Africa with the civil wars, Somalia, the Sudan, Ethiopia now, and all the famine and distress. <coughs> we look at North Korea again starting a nuclear program. And of course we look at Israel surrounded by its enemies. Prayer is needed throughout the world. Our trust should be completely and utterly in God. Our deliverer and our shield and our comfort and our strength. And through his Holy Spirit May he lead us and guide us and direct us as we enter into 2007. And the Israelites here, they were just about to enter into the promised land. God in, in uh, Moses had said in verse 7, Turn you and take your journey and go to the mount of the Amorites and unto the places nigh thereunto. And he sets out the land to which they were going. Take your journey and go. And the Lord shows here the extent of the land into which he had uh, ordered the Israelites to go. It was the land already, as we see here in verse 8, it was already shown, covenanted and promised to their fathers, Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, and to their seed after them. This was the, the promised land which God had intended his people to take possession of 40 years earlier. The land covenanted by God to Israel. If you go way back to, to Genesis 15, we see the picture there of God speaking to Abraham in Genesis 15. And he told Abraham to take a heifer and a goat and a ram, all three years old, a turtle dove and a young pigeon. That's in verse 8, verse 9 of chapter 15 of Genesis. And then he told Abraham, and Abraham cut these animals in two and split them and put a, to one side and there was a corridor between the carcasses and this was known as cutting a covenant when they wanted to make a covenant man with man they cut an animal and they parted it and they walked the two men who were making the covenant walked between the two animals the, the two halves of the animal 
Funny, I was listening to a a trade union chap on the uh, radio a while back, and he talked about cutting an agreement. And I was just thinking, did he know what the the basis of that expression was? And this is they they cut this covenant, and the idea was then they walked between these two uh, uh, split animals, and that was a binding covenant was made. And God told Abraham to, to, to do this. We have no record of Abraham walking between the animals. But if you read further on in Genesis 15, you see that God, verse 17, And it came to pass that when the sun went down and it was dark, <clears throat> behold, a smoking furnace and a burning lamp that passed between those pieces. God in his presence, walk through the animals, the parts of the animal. And in that same day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram. And he said, Unto thy seed I have given this land. And he sets out the boundaries of the land. <clears throat> and God made that covenant that the children of Israel would be possessors of that land for eternity, for forever, forever. In Genesis 17, <clears throat> in a modern translation, we read, When Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abraham and said to him, I am El Shaddai. Walk in my ways and be blameless. I will establish my covenant between me and you, and I will make you exceedingly numerous. Here God was again reiterating the fact that he had made a covenant with Abraham. They had cut this covenant. As I say, Abraham didn't walk through that uh, part of the agreement. Why? Because God knew that man would fail. That Israel would not keep their agreement. But God will keep his agreement with Israel. Abraham threw himself on his face and God spoke to him further. As for me, this is my covenant with you. Ye shall be the father of a multitude of nations. <clears throat> and you shall no longer be called Abram. But your name shall be Abraham. For I make you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fertile. And make nations of you. And kings shall come forth from you. I will maintain my covenant between me and you and your offspring to come as an everlasting covenant throughout the ages. To be God to you and to your offsprings to come. I assign the land you sojourn in to you and your offspring to come. All the land of Canaan as an everlasting holding. I will be their God. And that stands and will stand and cannot change. Otherwise, all covenants of God can be broken. In another uh, passage, in uh, speaking of David, the scripture says, I will maintain my steadfast love for him always. My covenant with him shall endure. I will establish his line forever, his throne as long as the heavens last. 
if his sons forsake my teaching and do not live by my rules, if they violate my laws and do not observe my commands, I will punish their transgression with the rod, their iniquity with plagues. But, there's a big but, but I will not take away my steadfast love for him, I will not betray my faithfulness, I will not violate my covenant or change what I have uttered. Isn't that wonderful? The covenant with Israel will not be broken. Beware of people who teach replacement theology. And then, having told them the land that they were going to possess, and that that land was to be theirs for all time, God gives his orders. He says, go in and possess the land. Go in and possess the land. nothing could be plainer nothing could be clearer they had to go in and possess the land verse 8 take possession of it not to go in and live alongside the inhabitants if I go in and take possession of a house I don't expect to go in and live with all the people who already are in the house. I go in and I possess that house and I live in it. And this is what God was telling the children of Israel to do, to go in and possess the land, take possession of it. Not just live in a certain part of it or work out an agreeable compromise with the people already there. God didn't say, I know they worship a different God, but in different ways than you but they will not uh, you will be able to work out some kind of an agreement with them no he says you have to go in and possess the land and you have to be separate from all the people there unfortunately they didn't do that they allowed many people to stay in the land and so signs on it trouble came about God's rules for the children of Israel constantly were to be separate from the nations round about. They were to be a blessing to the nations round about, but they were not to be part of the nations round about. To avoid their gods, not to worship alongside them. And you know, that's still the same rules God has for you and me, for us as Christians. We are to be separate from those around us separate from their beliefs we worship the true God we are not to mix oil and water these people the children of Israel they say they were a peculiar people they were a special people to God and we are a special people to God we have been redeemed by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ the Israelites had been redeemed out of Israel out of Egypt And he wants us to live lives which are separate from the world. We shall see further on in this wonderful book how God warned them what would befall them if they forgot him. But he still kept his covenant with them. 
We shall see as we go through the book how poorly they responded to the will of God. The will of God that he had, the plan he had for his chosen people. You know, we, we look at these Old Testament stories and we say, how could the people, uh, the children of Israel had, how could they have failed when they had God leading them through the wilderness? They had been taken through the Red Sea. He had guided them. He had given them water in the desert. He had given them manna to eat. He had given them quails. He had constantly fed them and guided them and guarded them. How could they not have obeyed him? But you know, look at ourselves. We have to admit that we disobey God. Look at the blessings he's given to us. He has above all given us his salvation through his son, Jesus Christ. He has given us the gift of the Holy Spirit and yet we fail him. We go our own ways and we grieve the Holy Spirit. Now Moses puts in a little bit here about his father-in-law and himself and the problems he had. A little parenthesis really. We know from previous passages that Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, had a discussion with Moses. He had visited Moses uh, at the camp of the children of Israel. And he had seen the amount of work that Moses had to do. He, He was judging people day by day by day. And he looked at Moses and he says, probably you're doing too much. You take too much on yourself. So they had, a, they had a, a discussion on this and a plan was formed. And he says here that I'm not able to bear you myself alone. Oh, there had come a time when things were getting so difficult and the Lord your God had multiplied you. They were increasing in number, but as they increased in number... Poor old Moses, his burdens increased. And then he adds a little bit in there. May God make you a thousand times so more, many more as ye are. And bless you as he hath promised you. They always based, these men of faith always based their beliefs on the promises of God. We used to sing that hymn, standing on the promises of God, of Christ my Saviour. Through eternal ages let his praises ring. Glory in the highest. I will shout and sing. Standing on the promises of God. And we should base our beliefs and our faith. On the promises of God. Not on the promises of man. And he exclaimed. How can I myself alone. Bear your cumbrance. And your burden. And your strife. Looking after these people was a burden. Why? Because of their strife. They were having disputes and controversies. And when they had these, they came to Moses to sort them out. And he says, I can't bear this. It's too much for me. How sad. These people who should have been so pleased to be uh, out of Egypt they'd been redeemed out of slavery and yet now the strife and controversies that they had between themselves and they brought them to Moses for judgment 
they were not walking in harmony and in love. It's a pity they didn't have Romans 12. But it hadn't been written there. But let's look at what Romans 12 says. And this is good for each of us. When we think we're a little bit better than the other person. When we think that we are in the right. When we think that we want our own way. Because it's the right way. Get out Romans 12. And it brings us back to earth again. Good read it, the whole chapter. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice and holy, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world. Don't be conformed to this world. Don't let the world some other translation says squeeze you into its shape into its mould be not conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is that which is good and acceptable and perfect for through the grace given to me I say to everyone among you not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment, as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. For just as we have many members in one body, and all the members do not have the same function, so we, who are many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each of us is to exercise them accordingly. If prophecy according to the proportion of his faith, if service in his serving, or he who teaches in his teaching, or he who exhorts in his exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honour. Not lagging behind in diligence. Fervent in spirit. Serving the Lord. Rejoicing in hope. Persevering in tribulation, devoted to prayer, contributing to the needs of the saints, practicing hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not be haughty in mind but associate with the lowly. Do not be wise in your own estimation. Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of men. If possible, as far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Never take your own revenge. Beloved, 
but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. And if he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Isn't that amazing? And if the children of Israel had acted on that principle, Moses wouldn't have had any work to do. There would have been no strife, there would have been no controversy. And it's the same with you and me as we go through this life, if we live in accordance with that chapter in Romans 12. Do not be haughty, do not be wise in your own estimation, and so on. It's a wonderful chapter. We should pin it up and read it every day. So they were having this trouble. And so Jethro and Moses' father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and Moses evolved a plan. Yes, so we come to verse 13. He says, Take your wise men and understanding and known among your tribes and I will make them rulers over you. This seemed a simple plan. You go, he said to the people, and it was good, good policy here. He said, you go and select wise men, men of understanding, and men who have known, who were known for their qualities. And these leaders of the tribes went off and they picked these men. We all need in our churches today, don't we, wise men, men of understanding, and men who are known by their fellows as being worthy of office. Wise men who have understanding of the word of God. Men who are known for their godly character. Not by their wealth, not by their position, but by the quiet portrayal as we've seen there in Romans chapter 12. You know, in uh, Chronicles, there were a list of people who had various qualities. And it goes on, uh, it says, and the children of Issachar, First Chronicles 12, 32, the children of Issachar, which were men that had understanding of the times to know what Israel ought to do. Oh, they, they had other qualities other people had, but these men, the children of Issachar, they were men that had understanding of the times to know what Israel ought to do. And we need men today in our churches, men who understand the times in which we're living. Men who are prepared to warn of the disaster that will come on this world. And we need to flee from the wrath to come. Men who are prepared to preach the gospel without compromise. Like these children of Issachar. They were men that had understanding of the times. And these were the type of men that Moses wanted to help him in the administration of his people. Sadly today, a lot of the men 
are like the men we read about in Nahum. Turn to Nahum chapter 3. Well, don't. There's only one verse I'm going to read. Nahum chapter 3 and verse 13. It says, Surely your people in your midst are women. Your troops are women. And that's the trouble. And what was happening? The gates of your land are wide open for your enemies. Fire shall devour the bars of your gates. Nahum was complaining that the men were like a bunch of old women. That's what he's saying. Weak, feeble. And because the troops were feeble and like women, the land was overrun by their enemy. Are prepared in our Christian life to stand up for the truths we believe and men in our churches are prepared to stand up and fight for the truth of God's word if they don't what will happen the gates of your land the gates of our churches are wide open for your enemies the gates of our churches are wide open to all sorts of doctrine and error well, these men were found. And look at how Moses delegated the work. Did you ever try and work out? I'm sure you haven't. How many men replaced Moses? He, one man was doing the whole thing, but here's what he did. Every thousand, he says, he made captains over thousands. He captains over hundreds. He'd captains over fifties, and he'd captains over tens. So if you had a thousand, you had a man at the top, and then you had ten men who were captains over hundreds, then under them you had twenty men who were captains over fifties, and then under them you had a hundred men who were captains over tens. That's a total of 130 people for every thousand. And how many thousand were in Israel? So there's been hundreds and hundreds of people who took over from Moses. And then apparently it says, and there were officers. And it appeared that these were officers who, were made, who made sure that the judgments that Moses made were carried out. And that these officers carried out the instructions of the judges, these 130 men per thousand. Now, my calculations may be wrong. I think sometimes it couldn't have been that, possibly been that number of people taken over from Moses. But that's the way it looks like. For every thousand it looks as if it was 130 men. But they were appointed and they got their instructions. Now, it's interesting, the instructions that Moses gave them. I charged your judges at that time, saying, Hear the cases between your fellow countrymen, and judge righteously between a man and his fellow countrymen, or the alien who is with you. Everybody was to be judged fairly. You shall not partially show judgment. You shall hear the small and the great alike. You shall not fear man, for the judgment is God's. If the case is too hard for you, you shall bring it to me and I will hear it. I commanded you at that time all the things that you should do. Judge righteously. 
That was the first thing. Don't show partiality in your judgment. Don't fear man. If the case is too hard, bring it to me. You know, I was just thinking about this. And how fortunate we are in this country that we live in a society where the rule of law still holds sway. Where justice is meted out fairly in our courts. How different it is across the world in so many places. You read reports from missionary societies and it shows where righteous judgment doesn't exist. Injustice, bribery and greed is the norm in many countries. Where the fear of man gives way to wrong decisions in the courts and where justice is not impartial at all. Look at Iraq with the demise of Saddam Hussein and the legacy of torture and death left in his wake. How about us? Are we scrupulous in our dealings with our fellow man? You know, I've said it so often. What they say when you're going to court, when you're going to be a witness, I shall speak the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. It's so easy to say the truth, but not the whole truth. It's so easy to, to, to put slants on things. But we have to speak the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth in all our dealings. Do we preach the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. Quite often men speak the truth, but they don't speak the whole truth. They leave vital bits out. You can't disagree with what they say, but it's what they don't say is just as important. Do we allow the fear of man to enter into my witness for the Lord Jesus Christ? But the most important thing that Moses said in his instructions was the judgment is God's. Remember that what you're doing, you're doing it under God. It's God's judgment. Remember, we are ambassadors for Christ. That's what scripture calls us. We are ambassadors for Christ. An ambassador acts and behaves within the law of the country he represents. We must operate within the kingdom of God and follow the master in all things. Israel, you know, failed miserably in their following the one true God. Time and time again, God had to, to, to judge them and eventually allowed them to be taken into captivity. Nevertheless, he loved them with an everlasting love. There's a lovely passage in Ezekiel 16. Truly, thus saith the Lord God, I will deal with you as ye have dealt. For you have spurned the pact and violated the covenant. They failed. But what does God say? Nevertheless, I will remember the covenant I made with you in the days of your youth. And I will establish it with you as an everlasting covenant. You shall remember your ways and feel ashamed. 
when you receive your older sisters and your younger sisters, and I give them to you as daughters, though they are not of your covenant, I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall know that I am the Lord. Even though they failed, God says, I will remember the covenant I made with you. We may fail from time to time in our judgments. But thank God, it says in 1 John 2, My little children, these things are right unto you, that ye sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Yes, God is a righteous judge. And we have an advocate in heaven, our Lord Jesus Christ, who presents our case before God. Wonderful. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? And there will come a time when the righteous judge will reign on this earth and judge in righteousness. Isaiah 2.4 And he shall judge among the nations and shall rebuke many people and they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation neither shall there be learn war anymore. We can't wait for that time. 